Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Whoever is in charge of, of lights, if you don't mind bringing them up so we can read our Bibles, and, and actually it's more so I can read mine. I'm getting to that age now that i got to carry my reading glasses with me to be able to read my Bible, so... I'm glad that you're here this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some guys here with them. Put your hand up and they'll bring you one. You're going to need it because I'm going to be talking to you about the Lord's Supper this morning. And a lot of you say, well, we know about the Lord's Supper. You may be very, very surprised to see some things that God wants to open our eyes to today when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And I'm walking back and forth and talking while we're getting warmed up here so that the sound guy can get used to me walking in front of the speakers here. So, all right. As we get ready for where we're going to be going, uh, before we get into our passage, I just kind of want to tell you a, a true story that happened over 30 years ago when my wife and I were dating. I was working with her father. He was a school teacher in this area in Brevard County for many years, 35, 37 years. He taught junior high science. But he also had businesses on the side, and one of the businesses he had on the side was he would build boats. And while I was dating Becky at that time, back in 1988, I wanted to ingratiate myself with him. And so I would go build boats with him on the afternoons and weekends. And uh, on one of these trips, a very interesting thing happened. He had an old, rusty Ford F-150 pickup truck. If you have ever lived on the beach, you know that if you park your car outside, it's going to rust away. And uh, this truck had rusted away, but it ran great, and he didn't want to get rid of it. But the doors were so bad, he wouldn't let me open my own door to get into his truck. So whenever I would go with him in his truck to the shop up in Rockledge to build boats, I would have to stand there while he came around and opened my door for me because he was the only one that knew how to open it and close it without it falling off. But in order to open it properly, you had to be very careful. You had to push the button and slowly lift it gently and carefully move it. And I w- it was the routine that we were used to. Well, we had gone and done our work. And on the way back, we stopped at the Pinita Country Store. You know the Pinita Store there on US 1? We stopped there for a big soda on the way home. And uh, as I sat there, I had to wait until he got out of the truck, walked around and opened my door for me. And, and then we got out and we would get our sodas. And on the way back into the truck, I walk out with my 44-ounce soda and he's got his and I'm holding his. And, because he has to open my door for me, and he comes, and again, he does it, pushes the button carefully, gently lifts it open. I then get in, and he gently closes the door, and I realized right at that time, as I had gotten in, that there was someone in the parking space right next to us watching this whole thing. (laughs) His eyes were about this big around, like, what is going on here? And all I could do was say, thank you, dear. That's what I did. I said, thank you, dear. It wasn't what it looked like. Well, I think God wants me to share with you today that the way we've been taking the Lord's Supper in our churches over the years, we may think it's the Lord's Supper, but it's really, it's become something that it wasn't supposed to be. There's a depth to this meal that God a few years ago opened my eyes to, and I can't wait to show it to you. And in doing so, we're going to take the Lord's Supper today in a different way than you probably have ever taken it. Oh, say, Jim, it looks like we're going to go up to the front. I've gone up to the front and taken it. Yes, stick with me. Stick with me. I pray that God would give you an attitude and an honest humbleness today that says, Lord, take me deeper. 
Take me deeper in understanding of this passage. We're going to look at a very, very familiar passage, and one that has some stern warnings in it as well. And we're going to allow God, my prayer is that we're going to allow God to take us today into a deeper understanding of the Lord's Supper and into a deeper love for each other than we would have ever experienced without the Lord's Supper. Amen. Let me show you what I mean. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 17 through 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17, Paul says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now when you come together, listen to what he says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In, in, in the same way, he also, after, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this, is the cup and the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may be, not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Now, about other things, I'll give directions when I come. Pretty heavy passage, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, this morning, you have a purpose and a plan. And you've given the grace for me to be able to be here today, having had surgery on Wednesday, and I thank you for that. But Lord, I don't want to assume that I got it from here. I need you. We need you. In order for us to see spiritual truth or grasp spiritual truth, you have to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In order for spiritual truth to be communicated, it cannot be communicated in words of plausible wisdom or man's effort but by the power of your word and your spirit. And so today I have fresh and anew rest in your anointing and your power to accomplish your purposes this morning. Open our eyes. Take us where you want us to go. Lord, I know some things that you've shown me, and I have a sense of what I think you might want to do, but I don't want to presume that I know what you're going to do. Do here this morning what you want to do for your glory. Take us into this passage where Paul sternly warns the church in Corinth that what they thought they were doing in taking the Lord's Supper wasn't the Lord's Supper. Show us how that may apply here as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, first and foremost, you can see that as you read the context of our passage that the Lord's Supper was a little bit different than how we do it. Theirs was a koinonia meal, a fellowship meal. They, they actually would all bring food and they would just spend some time together. They would take the bread and the cup, but along with it, they would eat. Kind of like what we call a potluck dinner, you know? But something started to happen in that church in Corinth. And as I'm about to show you, there are some divisions that started to, uh, to arise in the congregation between the believers. So much so that Paul, as I'm about to point out to you, had to spend most of the book of 1 Corinthians dealing with divisions. Actually, he's dealing with divisions here in this passage, as we've seen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and, and look at verses uh, 10 through 13. <clears throat> I'm just going to real quickly run you through 1 Corinthians, and you're going to see just briefly, Paul's book is dealing with the fact that there were divisions in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Jump over to chapter 3, look at verses 1 and through four. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, well, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being merely human? We see in 1 Corinthians 11, he's dealing with the divisions in the body. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. Go and jump over to 1 Corinthians 12. Start in verse 12. As he talks about how the divisions have made it into the Lord's Supper, he then continues the, this whole teaching about the fact there shouldn't be any divisions. Starting in verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members... Uh, this translation says members. I'm going to change the word to parts to help us understand it. Just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the parts in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Now, if all were a single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable... We bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Why? That was a question, by the way. Why? Look at verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may all have the same care one for another. If one part suffers, all suffer together. If one part is honored, 
all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members or parts of it. So we can see here in the context of 1 Corinthians 1 and chapter 3, chapter 11, chapter 12, throughout this book, Paul's dealing with the fact that even though they were a church, there were divisions in the church. Aren't you glad that didn't carry over into our day? Aren't you glad that just stayed back there? And that churches today have no problems with this? Actually, if you go back to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul says, actually, I hear there are divisions, and, and no doubt there should be divisions. There should be actually a distinction amongst the people. Look again at what he says in verses 18 and 19. He says, uh, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. In other words, he says, actually, there should be some divisions. A division between those who are walking in the Spirit and those who are walking in the flesh. There should be a recognizing of who is in the Spirit and who is in the flesh. There should be a difference. Now, hopefully, we're all walking in the Spirit, but that doesn't always happen. That's why we, God's designed the body to encourage each other, because there are days that I'm full of faith, and there are other days that I'm not. There are days that my wife is full of faith, and there are days that she's not. And in our relationship, we are to encourage each other. In those days that I'm strong, she's going to possibly be weak, and she and I can work together to help each other, and vice versa. And there's going to be divisions. We don't have time to go there, but if you go back and look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, it talks about the evidence of the flesh, which is factions, envy, strife. Uh, it talks about fornications and sexual immorality and those types of things, divisions. But the evidence of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So Paul says, I understand that there are some divisions. There have to be to show which of you are in the Spirit, which of you are in the flesh. But he said, the divisions that I want to deal with today have not only started off to their, your personal preferences. I follow Paul. Well, I, I prefer, I prefer uh, Troy's preaching. Don't like Paul. <laughs> You're welcome. I like his better too. You like <laughs> <laughs> no, let me ask you a question. How many of you here don't have any preferences? Okay, good. That's good. You're honest. That was a test. Have our preferences made it into the church? Aren't we dividing amongst each other because of worship styles, song choices, preaching styles, whether or not you should use a hymn book or a screen? The divisions have made their way into the church in more ways than we think. And if you remember from our reading in the context, I'm going to bring it out in just a little bit, Paul says God takes it pretty serious. And he says now, not only have there been divisions among you where you have your preferences, these divisions have actually carried over into how you take the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 21. He says in verse 21, For in eating the Lord's Supper, one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. In other words, he says, you may be all in the same room, but you're not taking it together. And that was the purpose of this meal. Let me share something with you you may not have ever known. Did you, how many of you, and, 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 and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want you to be bragging and then have to confess that, but how many of you knew that what we just read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 
was the first recording that we have in the Bible of the Lord's Supper. I didn't until about three, four years ago. We were saying, wait a minute, no, uh, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, we saw it in, in Matthew's account, in Mark's account. Actually, those were all written after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The first account that we have recorded in the scriptures for the New Testament church of the Lord's Supper and the Passover meal becoming the Lord's Supper was written by Paul. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you on the night that he was betrayed. This is the first recording we have of it. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brings out something to them. Look at verses 23 through 26. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Now, in our English translation, it doesn't come out as clear as it should. That word you is in the plural. Actually, if you'd go study, study the Greek, you'll realize it's, it should say y'all. I mean, if it's a southern translation, it should say that my body broken for y'all. Actually, I was preaching on this one time in a southern church. And this guy came up to me afterwards and he said, y'all's not plural. All y'all's plural. <laughs> so, because you know, some people say y'all for one person, but all y'all. So listen, Paul says, what I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you. Something you might not have understood yet. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Mark's not written his gospel yet. Matthew's not written his gospel yet. Luke's not written his gospel yet. Let me share something with you. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples. And that Passover meal that they'd been eating for thousands of years, he then opened their eyes to the fact that it had been pointing to him. And this cup that you've been drinking and this bread that you've been eating, this is my body. It's been pointing to my body, which is broken for all of you. But you know what we've done? We've taken the meal that was designed to remind us that he died for us. And even though we're all in the same room, tell me if I'm not correct, in most of our churches today, we've been taught that you sit there and you think about what Jesus did for you. Don't we? I mean, we've been taught, you better examine yourself. You, be, you better consider the body and the blood of Jesus. And it's a serious thing not to consider what he's done. And, and many of us have been kind of scared to take the Lord's Supper because it's a solemn, somber thing. And we have got to, don't talk to me, I've got to get ready for the Lord's Supper. And we sit there all in the same room, eating individually. Paul says, that's not the Lord's Supper. This was a meal designed for all y'all. This was a meal that we are to take together, not all in the same room individually, but to take together. We're going to do it in a cool way in just a bit. But let's go and deal with that scary passage that talks about taking it incorrectly. Go to verses 24 and following. Look at, uh, sorry, uh, ver, uh, yeah, um, We'll start in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for all y'all. 
Do this in remembrance of me, and in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Pretty serious stuff. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Hang on for a second. Look closely at what Paul says. He says, if we eat in an unworthy manner, we're guilty concerning the body and the blood. But we need to examine ourselves, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Does he say, and the blood? No, he just says the body. It's interesting. Don't miss this. He said, this is serious stuff. Jesus' body was broken for us. And when you eat the Passover meal, which is the Lord's Supper, when you eat this supper, you're proclaiming the Lord's death for all of us. By the way, does anybody remember on that night in John chapter 13, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and then they take the Lord's Supper and all this stuff, there's a famous verse we all love to quote, John 13, 35. By this, all men will know you're my disciples, what? By your love for one another. He goes on later in that same night and says, a new command I give you. The same way that I've loved you, you to love one another now. And all along, Jesus was pointing them to the fact that this meal that we take is a reminder that he died for us. And it should actually unite us. It's not that he died for me. He died for us. And when you take it, you take it remembering that he died for us. And when you take it considering only yourself, you're not discerning the Lord's body. Did you catch it? You're guilty concerning the body and the blood. But you need to examine yourself, and if you take it and you haven't considered the Lord's body, you're bringing judgment on yourself. What's the Lord's body that he's talking about? The church. You got it. Boy, you just saved yourself about 20 minutes. That's awesome. <laughs> Go real quick to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at verse 27. We've already seen it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 27. You, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, or parts of it. Go back to chapter 8. Look at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 8. Look at verse 12. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against who? You sin against Christ. Folks, he's been pointing this out all along. Throughout the whole context, he's been saying, guys, there's a problem in your church. You have divisions. You all might be in the same room. You might be going through the motions of having church together, but there's issues between you. And if you go through the motions and pretend everything's fine, but do this church thing for yourself, and you don't consider each other, and you sin against each other, you're sinning against Christ. Because we are his body. We are his body. He didn't die for you, he died for us. That's why, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, the early church devoted themselves just to four things. The apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, that's the Lord's Supper, fellowship, and prayer. Did you catch that? 
All they devoted themselves were four things. They didn't even devote themselves to evangelism. That gets all the evangelists mad. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, those who have been gifted and called by God to teach the Word of God. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer together, and they devoted themselves to regularly taking the Lord's Supper. Why? Because it's a reminder that he died for us. And we may all be in the same room taking it, but if you're sitting there with your head bowed and your eyes closed and you're considering what Jesus did for you, it may look like the Lord's Supper, but it's not. You ever thought about the fact that in Acts chapter 9, Paul's out there persecuting the church, and he's on his way to Damascus, and Jesus shows up and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you catch that? Was Paul after Jesus, or was he after his body? He's after his body, but Jesus takes it personally. Folks, this morning we're going to do something different. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, but we're going to take it together. We're going to take it in a way in which I don't want you to bow your head. I don't want you to close your eyes. I want you to sit there while people are coming up and taking it. I want you to sit there with your eyes open and your head up. And as they go up, I want you to be thanking God that they are a part of his body. You're going to start to sense the Holy Spirit do something in this room, folks, as you just let, let him go. As they go up, you're going to say, Lord, thank you that you saved them too. And pray for them. Pray for their wife. Pray for their marriage. Pray for their kids. Oh, by the way, we're not going to be in a rush. This is going to take a little while because i got more instructions. You can't come up by yourself. You have to invite somebody to come with you. I don't want your family to come up just as a family. I love it if families take it together. I think it's awesome because he died for all y'all as well, right? And some of your families need to take it together, but you need to invite another family or an individual or somebody. I've seen, I've done this in churches, youth groups take it together. Oh, Jim, how are we going to do that? Because I want to take it with so-and-so, and I'd like to also take it with so-and-so. That's the whole fun of this. The Bible just says as often as you do this, right? That means if you want to take it seven times this morning, you can. Well, wait a minute. Hey. Does the Bible say how often you take it when you take it? There's going to be trash cans up here. Once you've taken the cup, don't put it back in the tray because some of you don't want to share too much with each other, all right? But I want you to have fun with this. I want you to really let the Holy Spirit start to show you what this meal is about. Some of you might just want to spend some time off to the side just praying together. Don't go through the motions today. Oh, by the way, someone will say, well, nobody invited me. You didn't hear the instructions. I didn't say wait until somebody invites you. You must invite someone. So nobody sits back waiting to be invited. You intentionally go find somebody. Let me tell you a cool story that happened. I did this years ago at First Baptist Merritt Island. And by the way, that sanctuary seats 1,500. And we even told the people in the balcony, you got to come down. We had stuff laid out all over the front. It was absolute chaos. There, of course, there was a deacon that said, next time we do this, there needs to be a way up and a way down. No! No! Who cares if you bump into each other through this? You might hug. 
I couldn't sit and just watch anymore. God was doing so many cool things. I told my wife, I said, I got to get out and get in the midst of that. And as I did, a man covered in tattoos comes up to me and he says, Jim, he goes, Pastor Jim, can I introduce you to my friend Mark? And I said, cool, who are you? You know, and he told me his name and he says, you know how you told me to invite somebody? Well, I saw a guy look just like me because he had tattoos too. So I went to Mark and I said, Mark, would you take the Lord's Supper with me this morning? And Mark said, I can't because I'm not saved. And so this other guy, Joe, said, well, do you want to be? And the guy, Mark, goes, yeah. So as I was walking through, they went to find me. And I had the privilege, right in the midst of all, midst of all the chaos, to pray with Mark as he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And then I said to Joe, why don't you and your new brother go take the Lord's Supper? And they hugged, and God, who knows what God wants to do this morning? We're not going to rush it. The whole rest of the service is whatever happens next. And you know, I ran across something. This isn't just something Jim Johnson came up with. William Barclay wrote in his commentary on this passage years ago, the person judged is not the person who does not discern that the elements he takes in his hands are the Lord's body. The person judged is the person who doesn't discern that Christians are the Lord's body and must be in unity before they dare approach the sacrament. Maybe there's somebody here you need to go pray with before you take the Lord's Supper. Maybe there's some issues that the Lord's been bringing to your mind. Now, you're not going to lose your salvation if you take it in the wrong way. There's no condemnation. But there is judgment. God disciplines us. We just saw that. Do you remember at the end of his passage? Listen to what he says here. He says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, verse 29, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we wouldn't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're what? Disciplined. It's a training. It's a shaping so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so what he's saying is this. Let's enjoy what the purpose of this meal was. He died for us. This doesn't mean you have to take it this way every time from now on. However God leads you and your leadership in to do it. But for today, heads are up. Eyes are open, and as God leads you, you go grab some people, and you come take the Lord's Supper together, and you start enjoying, and while you're doing that, and you're sitting, thank, start praying for the people that are coming up, thanking God for them, and if you want to go grab somebody else, go do it. We're not in a rush, and I kept it pretty close to the 20 minutes I promised. Let me pray for us. Father, this is your time. So many passages are just jumping into my heart right now. I think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to become sin who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of Christ. Folks, Lord, I just thank you for the fact that you've opened our eyes to this. Now, however it is that you want us to respond. We surrender ourselves to you individually and corporately. May you be glorified today as we take the Lord's Supper together. How you intended it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.